You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You know, I want that guy that does the voiceover from the cartoon to be the voiceover in this movie, though. That's the only problem. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Uh, Welcome to Spotcast. This is episode nine. My name is Tim Mitchell and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and it's my pleasure to be joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? We also have Jonathan Kula and way down there in Mississauga, Ontario. Oh, it's warm down here in the south in Mississauga. Is it? Oh, yeah. It's balmy compared to uh, way up north in Toronto. Balmy there. seven degrees Celsius or something yeah. like that? <laughs> something like that. So should we, uh, we don't have much of a spot. Did we do, did we do episode eight, a uh, fact check, or is that what you were just nope, doing? No, no, I just added that. That's, uh, that's, we, we had a, a pretty good episode a milestone episode i think for wow us. Only, yes. only, only two faux pas all right so why don't you hit us with the hip the, the fact check or the fact hip check. check so uh let's see 1653 of uh, episode eight uh there were six space shuttles mm-hmm. we had the enterprise the columbia challenger discovery atlantis and endeavor endeavor yeah endeavor so i remembered endeavor throughout the week but i didn't i know i didn't mention it on the show yeah yeah yeah. And the only other thing was uh, we were talking about The Walking Dead and I made the comment that uh, The Walking Dead franchise has made Robert Kirkman a very wealthy man. And while that is no doubt true, uh, there was a story uh, that came out recently that uh, apparently uh, Robert Kirkman is being joined by uh, Gail Ann Hurd and Glenn Mazzara and uh, some of the other uh, principals of the show in suing AMC over $300 million in uh, wow. revenue that has not been... Uh, settled so hmm. uh that's you know somebody's making a lot of money off of the walking dead it's just to remains to be determined how that's been uh settled out so cool cool yeah. can you paste a link to that for the show notes for the people at home i will do that so those some driving in their cars or driving at home what is it <laughs> we don't really have a catchphrase for this one is it what is it like um yeah, what do you say transporting on... at home i don't know <laughs> no what do you say for for um the more trust code folks folks on there so that one is for those of you driving at home but i feel like we should have a spacey right. here Oh, making I the see. Truck home? Right, making the truck. <laughs> no, see the the irony of the of the statement that Jonathan is that if they're at home, they're probably not driving. Ah, and Jaime sort of said it wrong, and we've just you know carried on with that tradition. So yeah, it, it mixed two totally different approaches to mean the same thing, which is you know for those of you who are driving, or for those of you uh, following along at home. Um, and I did say <laughs> it incorrectly once, and so I just kind of like going with that. So driving at home, you don't know you're doing donuts in your parking, you know, space or, or, or driving the lazy boy across the living room you never know yeah it's true i personally uh, enjoy my spot cast when i'm walking the dog that's uh that's my spot cast uh, recap time yes yes so a bit of follow-up here i was watching the original series episode 19 as it was broadcast um or as they have it on netflix which no this is as it was broadcast um it's episode 20 on on the uh on the netflix it's an episode called tomorrow is yesterday and um in that one uh kirk says there are only 12 like it referring to the enterprise which i thought was interesting and uh, they refer to themselves their authority as the united earth space probe agency not the federation per se on a strange uh, name um and uh, strangely enough this is the one where they go back in time they, they end up in somehow in a, in a time warp and they end up back in 1960s um cape canaveral in fact where they're spotted by a uh, f1 that's sent up to or an f-16 i guess or something like that no it's probably not that jonathan you can fact check that one yeah they're they're chasing by a plane who actually sees them and and um 
They decide to put the pilot in a tractor beam and they end up destroying his ship. Uh, spoilers for those of you who haven't watched it since 1966. But um, they end up breaking up the ship, so they end up transporting the pilot onto the Enterprise. And, you know, madcap in, it, it ensues after that. You know, like madcap, you know, chicanery and, and much cavorting happens after the rest of the episode. But um, at one point, they also transport a security guard from the uh, Army base or the, I guess, Air Force base where they're, um, where they're trying to, you know, recover the tapes of the of the videos that the pilot made of them and the freaked out um guy won't leave the uh the transporter room the the security guard or the uh, sort of the army armed guard or no army person what i how do i refer to him a minute ago that guy yeah he was and so so the transporter uh operator goes over to the replicator and says would you like something to eat and he says yeah i'd like some chicken soup and sort of puts a card into the slot and two seconds later some chicken soup appears in the little un, under the little uh, bread box door so that's probably like uh we were talking about the replicator you know earl gray hot kind of replicator that part used in the next generation so that was kind of an interesting thing um yeah so yeah that's it and then uh what else is going on guys well i think we have a lot to unpack in our uh uh, our looks at Star Trek Discovery and Orville this week as we both uh, right. as they both traveled back to 1980s uh, Star Trek lore to, for their inspirations. So. Yeah, yeah, sure. All right. So uh, who wants to dive into episode seven, make the magic to make the sanest man go mad? Okay, I'll dive in. Uh, Michael, <laughs> Michael Burnham sets the time code here, which is kind of important. And I, so I, I made note of it because, you know, I don't know why, but 2136.8 is the star date. Um, and uh, lo and behold, they end up in the sort of one of my favorite, um, I don't know what you call it, uh, um, bot styles or, or, or I don't know if it's a trope or whatever, Jonathan, but the idea where uh, they get stuck in a time loop and they have to relive. Oh, it's a trope. It's a trope. I, I called it ground Groundhog Day, the Groundhog Day effect, right? Yeah. Uh, where they they go through the day and they they destroy themselves and they have to um, sort of sort their way out through each iteration as kind of like I guess game mechanics too. Like you know you play a game to a certain point and you die and then you start the game back from the last um, what do you call those game save points? Yeah, yeah. Right? Game save. Um, and Perry Mudd shows up uh, trying to sell the ship to the Klingons. So um, and yeah, so he does this by hiding inside of a Gormander, which is kind of a space whale that. Uh, by the rules of their uh, their uh, not federation, but what's the other term they have for these guys? They're not. They're such an endangered species in space that they're they're not uh, to leave them alone um, for some reason. So they bring it on board, and that's how uh, Harry Mudd gets on on board. And he has a time crystal on his wrist that lets him uh, go back and replay time, I guess, or travel back in time. And uh, the only person who kind of clues in at first to the oh, I guess I should say now that I've given half of the plot away that spoilers, <laughs> spoilers in the show. Episode seven. Oh well, bad. Um, and you know, just forewarning: this show is all about all about the spoilers, right? So we'll we'll be spoiling all kinds of things this evening on on the latest Orville episode and Star Trek Discovery. And I've already spoiled this, the plot of the 1966 episode as well. <laughs> um, the only one that clues in, of course, is our is our um, our pal Anthony Rapp, who plays character Stamets. Stamets, yeah. And and we find out as the story progresses because of his connection to the universe uh, with his new. Uh, connection with the spores and the spore drive and i forget what they call that network of um that sort of space sort of river river that he's sort of on you know the arctic stream or whatever you call it right um but it's it's interesting because when at one one of the iterations where michael burnham is trying to catch up to uh harry mudd he does a log of his own because he takes over the ship at one point and he calls out the lot the time code being 2137.2 which i guess is just about before the ship blows up and goes back and resets time and um their only clue is that at one point there's like a power failure in this party that they're they're attending so yeah so interesting note here too at the at the very end of the story um we, we find we meet the new stella who is uh catherine burrell and apparently a canadian accent actress again Woo. Um, and apparently she was in uh winona erp as well oh, nice yeah sorry that's nice it's a funny show i like their funny show it's a good show. i haven't watched that show yet um yeah so and you know the reason why anthony rap uh is it, or anthony rap's character stamets is able to the, to detect this is because he lives out of the outside of the normal time stream which now explains if you will why two episodes ago his mirror reflection was in a different time space than than him inside of his uh, his apartment brushing his teeth with his partner freak out jonathan 
So what have, what do you say about the episode, guys? Well, I think I liked it better when it was called Cause and Effect, and it was in the fifth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But right. uh, that being said, as far as well-worn science fiction tropes go, I think this was pretty well done. It was enjoyable. It was interesting. We, we got a nice look at who uh, Michael is as a character and, you know, some, some development of her and, and Tilly. We got to see a different side of Tilly. And there's, there's lots of really, I, I, honestly, I think this is the best episode they've done so far. And yet I just, I found myself thinking, you know, you know, that's awfully quick to get to that, you know, well-worn trope, you know, like they couldn't hold on to that one to season two and, and to bring Harry oh, Mudd right, back yeah, too. Yeah. And to bring Harry Mudd back, like it was, it, you know, again, he was a great character when they first introduced him and it was a nice little nod to the connections to the old show, but uh, I could have waited more than two episodes before they brought him back. That's true, but it did, it did answer those those nagging questions you had about whether it was it was uh, right and true for uh, Captain Lorca to leave him behind in the Klingon uh, prison. Well, although we have to ask ourselves, you know, it is cause and effect. We just talked about cause and effect. If he leaves, if he doesn't leave him behind, does he, you know, then not come back and kill him? What did we just establish? 50, 50 plus times? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, um, which was, by the way, an amazingly awesome slam cut of all those scenes of him just killing and yeah, killing and yeah. killing Lorca over and over again, yeah. teleporting him into space and watching him asphyxiate. I mean, that's, it just, that was... That doesn't get better than that, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah and, and Rain Wilson's expression, I mean, he was, he was magic. Again, he's, he's clearly enjoying that character an awful lot, which is, you know, yeah, that's it's good stuff. Uh, again, I think, you know, it was a really strong episode. We got to learn something about characters. You know, we got a deeper look into, you know, the kind of very uh, complex character Michael Burnham is. Um, you know, a little development with her relationship with Ash, the security chief, and, you know, lots of lots of good things about this episode. Uh, you know, one of the most gruesome Star Trek weapons we've ever seen out of Lorca's laboratory. Uh, this, this disintegrator marble. Oh, little ball, yeah, yeah. That uh, first we see, uh, you know, we see Ash get uh, killed in one time loop, and then we see Burnham commit rather uh, extraordinary suicide in another by swallowing one of these death marbles. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, good stuff, really good stuff. It just, uh, you know, again, I, I wish there was another plot device that could have gotten them there just because, uh, you know, boy, we've seen an awful lot of time loop science fiction shows over the years, and, and Trek probably does it best, and this was one of the best uses of it, so I don't want to pick too hard at it, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, from the second that I tweaked to the fact that this was going to be a time loop episode, I was, you know, immediately... Okay, okay, wait, 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 stop, 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 stop. When did you first tweak to it? When the lights flickered in the party, or when... No, 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 that was... <laughs> no, that was... I, I Listen, I think I do have a bit of a novice for plot holes and stuff, but uh, no, that was... There, there was no clue that that's where that was going at that point. It really wasn't until they started down the path of, you know, this is going somewhere, and it was well done. Again, like, I, you know, and they told the time loop story in a really interesting way where it wasn't a complete loop and we had Harry Mudd moving through it and advancing his agenda as he was going through it and of course you know, like I said Ryan Wilson is just having so much fun playing this character and it's really you know he's, he's one of those great villains where you're like I kind of want to see what this guy does next yeah yeah for sure yeah yeah but at the same time I found myself thinking you know yeah apply time loop yeah sure time loop okay time loop mm-hmm. yeah what do you think Jaime I think um, I do share some of the concerns about while it's kind of um, early in the series to to kind of come you know back to this this particular trope but if i take a step back and look at it from a different perspective and say you know what what if this episode is just a really good excuse or a, a really good vessel uh, no pun intended to deliver a couple of important plot setup points um one furthering the relationship between ash tyler and michael burnham uh, which it does for that and two establishing the outside of the time stream nature for stamets uh, presumably for some future important thing mm, yeah and he got some great some great looks in this episode too i mean uh, you know anthony rapp was having a good time as this you know all-knowing presence trying to cut through to solve this half hour riddle as he's trying to go through over and over and over again along with harry mudd uh you know lots of lots of interesting stuff to unpack on that character he you know comes off as pretty uh it's funny because he was so you know hardcore and serious those first few episodes and then he got his uh, mushroom injection and he's been acting like a guy who's on mushrooms for a little while and it's it's, it's actually really delightful yeah I, I think if one criticism i have it's a I, I think they could have come up with something a little bit better for the secret that she yeah. tells stamets in order to prove like the never been in love like i'm pretty sure that would have been like one of the top three guesses <laughs> oh, really? into your head you know okay you know what's the secret thing about michael's like, oh she's never been in love guarantee 
see that's in one of the top three, right? Just <laughs> sort of like hard-nosed, hard-edged sort of personality and the fact that she's been through trauma and has lived a Vulcan lifestyle. Like, it, I feel like there could have been something better, like how, you know, she and her, her brother used to like poke noses, poke their noses and like rub it on each other's face or something, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's also something you might guess, but it's not going to be top three and that might be top hundred. You're right. It was a great, it was a very effective way to convey, uh, to build sympathy for the character from, to make us like her. You know, we're all just like, oh, this Aww. poor flawed person, you know, Anderson like routine. Yeah. Yeah. Like, she, you know, she needs, she needs love. And then, so that binds us rooting for her and Ash and, you know, it's good. Again, I, I get why they go there, obviously, but uh, yeah, you're right. It's, it, you know, if somebody's going to be like, hey, I've got a secret, you're right. For somebody as awkward as Burnham, that would not be a stretch to go to. So based on your theory from last week about Ash's ultimate agenda here, does, does this sort of advance or sort of create more um, uh, subterfuge for his uh, potential spidem? Or, or, or are you giving up on that idea now? You know? No, I'm not letting go of this one yet. Um, no, I think it's really hard to get too much out of this episode because you have to assume that this, even though this is a loop, it takes place in the sum total of, what, 45 minutes? Yeah. Because it's a half an hour time loop with a couple of minutes before and a couple of minutes after. So I don't think we can unpack a lot from the character in, in 45 minutes. You know, he, he could have just been in survival mode or whatever, and he could still be trying to ingratiate himself with Burnham for ulterior motives. So I'm not, I'm not willing to give up on my my uh, the theories from last week. We talked about uh, how I, I suspect this man might have uh, allegiances not necessarily to Starfleet. We'll see. We'll see. We still got a whole half a season to come. So we'll, we'll see where this goes. It's kind of odd to think about. I didn't really sort of catch that it was like only a 45 minute loop. Um, cause it, well, he, he says it's a half an hour, right? He oh, does he? Okay. Because there's a lot going on. I mean, like, you know, they have to yeah. get down to the dock and they have to go examine the, uh, you know, the Gormander and get their tricorders out. And, you know, there's no yeah. costume changes per se, but like, you know, I, I don't know that things necessarily move that quickly on a ship. So that's a little unbelievable. Um, yeah. Well, I guess that's the whole point where is, you know, both, both uh, Harry Mudd trying to advance his agenda and Stamets trying to foil him both within these circling loops of half an hour. It's not really a lot right, of time. Right. So that's why, I, you know, he sort of, uh, Stamets comes up with the idea of, you know, tell me something that'll convince you in this next loop really quickly because we, we're going to need the other 29 minutes for you to get your butts in gear so right, we can right. actually solve this problem. Yeah, and they must have gone through the loop a number. Well, they went through the loop at least 50 times because he had to kill Lorca 50 times. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, and they, they kind of all come. To, it's interesting though because normally in, in, in a, like in this show here where that we're centered around Michael Burnham right, and her perspective on the ship. So it's interesting that, that uh, Anthony Stamis is the one that um, figures it out first rather than the main character. Like, you know, like it's Bill Murray and Groundhog Day that figures it out, right? Um, yeah. There's another, I'm just trying to think here too. What's the name of the, Jaime, mean, help me out here. What's the Tom Cruise movie where he and, um, and he's an army guy and uh, he dies Order over and over Order again? July? No, no, no. Do you have, no, no, it's a recent one and it's confusing. Oh, Edge because, of Tomorrow? Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow is really, like, Jonathan, I know you don't like Tom Cruise movies. Oh, that, that's a movie that you. Not enough money in the world to get me to watch a Tom Cruise movie. Yeah, it hasn't so been for a decade one. and a half. You should watch that one and just, just, just suspend disbelief and just pretend it's like Colin Firth or someone like that. But yeah, uh, that's actually a very, it's actually very well done. At first, when I first started watching it, I thought maybe he was a character in a video game or something like that because, you know, he keeps dying this, this horrible death over and over again. And, uh, but it's the same, same, it's the same plot point. It's the same thing. It's like they keep living this thing over and over again. And with each iteration, they get further and further into the game, if you will, uh, till they, they figure out what, uh, how to beat the, uh, the, um, antagonist in this one, right? So, yeah. And I, that one's been a tempting one for a while because I, I really enjoy Emily Blunt as an actress. I yes, really like yeah. her work. And, and I've heard it's actually, you know, all things being equal, a good movie, but I just have a really tough time getting past Tom Cruise playing Tom Cruise in every Tom Cruise movie yeah, that's ever yeah. been. Well, maybe if you had an air, air sickness bag beside you while you watch it. Yeah. Before folks uh, get angry at us, so, uh, it was originally released as Edge of Tomorrow. And then at some point, the marketing folks said, let's rename it Live, Die, Repeat, colon, Edge of Tomorrow. You're kidding me. <laughs> and then there's also, I think it's based on like, All You Need Is Kill is the original, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, novel, short novel, perhaps. Right, right. So they, they actually renamed it to, uh, was it Kill, Die, Repeat? Uh, live, Die, Repeat. Really? Which kind of gives you the premise in the title itself, whereas Edge of Tomorrow doesn't really. Wow. Yeah, I, I like Edge of Tomorrow as a title 
better. It's kind of kind of it's kind of a fifty sci-fi title. I'm sure Heinlein or Asimov or someone has written a, written a book with that title in the past. So in this case, this comes from a Japanese science fiction light novel called "All You Need Is Kill." Right, right. Hmm. And there's Can't rumor they're making is a sequel of this one too. Really? Hmm. Live, die, repeat again. It's <laughs> literally I, I, the title is apparently revealed. Is it called by, Ready Player One? No, no. The 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 title you you couldn't even guess it, but it's awesome. <laughs> is uh, revealed by Doug Lyman said it's going to be called Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat. Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, I wasn't in before, but now I'm in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Insert player two, insert more coins. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty sad. Anyway, so on on the After Trek show, which I like to go and collect uh, little bits of trivia, they actually had Anthony Rapp and Wilson Wilson Cruz, who plays the the Doctor, and Rain Wilson came in by uh, Skype to talk about this particular episode. Um, And the random communications operator man was Lieutenant Junior Grade R.A. Bryce, played by Ronnie Rao. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's a main character, though, so he's probably not, even though he died in the, he's the one that got uh, the little bomb thing thrown at him. Right? Oh, right. And it's interesting, the little helmet that, that uh, Rain Wilson wears at the very beginning, they, they designed it as a throwback to the Journey of journey to Babel episode where an Orion disguises himself as an Endorian by putting antenna on his head. Yeah, it's, it, I thought he was mm-hmm. doing the Donnie Darko rabbit helmet at the yeah, beginning. Yeah, but, yeah. But uh, no, yeah, the Andorian uh, uh, spot for the antenna was was really neat. I didn't know what to expect yeah, when you see yeah. that character emerge from the Gormagander, but uh, yeah. For sure, for sure. All right. So moving on to uh, Star Trek, the next generation prequel part two. <laughs> or uh, what did I call it? Um, it was really good when I saw it called, when it was called Black Mirror. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Oh, it was it was Justice. It was a first season episode of TNG, right? If, if Wesley Crusher falls on a plant, right? Yes, yes, right. Yeah. So in the Orville, the majority rule was uh, kind of an exploration of social networking and social, and the kind of effect it has on us. And and I saw some tweets on you know, Twitter about how oh, it was such an awesome episode. And but it's like episode one of season three of the Black Mirror, which is a very similar one where you you know your uh, rating in society is based on your your like points. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and here, in this case, um, our uh, what's the name of the, the guy, uh, lieutenant, who um, gets himself in trouble? But um, he ends up they they end up buying uh, fake IDs with these. They have these uh, the, all the citizens of this planet wear a, a badge that counts their their like points and their and their uh, unlike points. I don't know what you call that. Um, and if you get below was a hundred thousand or something like that, or a million, um, or if you get to a million, then then you're punished or uh, recycled or forget what the terminology they used for it. Uh, brainwashed, basically. Right. Yep. Um, so it's an interesting story. And by the way, the the, the uh, number one's name is Grayson. Is that correct? Uh, Kelly Grayson. Yeah, Kelly Grayson. Yeah. Yeah. Kelly mm-hmm. Grayson, which is interesting because isn't uh, Spock's mother Amanda Grayson? Amanda Grayson. Yeah. Hmm. I would not be surprised if those have something to do with each other. Yeah. Just, yeah. just given the the fandom uh, that comes from Seth MacFarlane. Yeah. Yeah. And just and at the very end of it, the main character who's in the story is is a young lady who works in a coffee shop, and uh, she's in the cold opening, and she's in the in the uh, last part there and and um, her decision at the very end of it is to is to, the feed is what basically everybody sort of watches and and uh, is like the sort of the what's the world battle of the stars or what do you call it network stars or uh, dancing dancing with the stars what, what is that show called um, with uh, Simon what's his name it was American Idol American Idol American Idol also um, yeah. America's yeah. Got Talent right. X Factor X Factor yeah, the whole reality thing where you vote people in and she decides at the very end of it that her way of of fighting against this is to just turn it off and boycott it again. What does that accomplish, really? Yeah, that was that was my note. I, I made, made some notes as I was going through it, and I just came to that. Like the moral of the story is: don't try and be part of the solution. Just ignore it and hope it goes yeah, away. Hope it goes away. Isn't that isn't that how some of us who are south of um, <laughs> Dixon Line got in trouble? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so some more notes here on. And you were talking about the episode with Rashford Custer. He's I, I saw a clip of it on. He's running and he breaks into a breaks through a glass on a like a little greenhouse or something i thought he walked yeah, they're, they're protecting a, a patch of, of plants or something and the uh, the rule absolute rule in this episode is that if you break the law in any way it's a death sentence and that's why they know not to break the law and of course it all heck breaks loose in uh, in star trek when wesley crusher kills a plant and in this case john lamar uh sexes up a statue and yeah john lamar and finds himself uh in hot water in the society where you know as would happen 
in our society, if somebody was trying to uh, do a sexy dance with a statue, everybody films it on their camera and posts it onto their social media. And because they're an absolute democracy, everybody votes it down and says boo to yeah, this guy yeah. doing that. And yep. of course, John ends up having to go out and, and do the talk show circuit to explain his behavior. Right. But not working in John's favor is that John Lamar's kind of a jerk. He's he's, yeah. he's not he's not really meant for this. He goes out and he does all the wrong things and says all the wrong things and he doesn't really feel guilty about it because he thinks this is ridiculous and, yeah. uh, and yeah. keeps making things worse and worse and worse as he goes. Yeah. Interesting though that 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 they chose a bronze statue of a historical figure given the times. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, anyway. But I don't know. I mean, this was uh, you know, there it was not my favorite episode of the Orville so far. Let's say that to start, but uh I just found, you know, we were talking about well-worn tropes and and of all the tropes, the their society is just like ours used to be is just oh man, that yeah. is just the laziest writing. I just uh every time Trek does it, anytime any science fiction show does the like, hey, we're remember so what it was like back yeah. in the 21st century? It's just like that, right down to the easy to make sets that have no production value. Like it just, it's you know, it's just not my favorite bit of science fiction writing when they do this. It seems cheap, especially in a show that has a really high production value like the Orville, where we've seen, you know, aliens and it's like they blew their budget on the, the Krillbecue episode and, and they had to right. back one where they're like, ah, we'll film the entire next episode in a coffee shop in LA. Yeah, yeah. And but, it's the same same thing as the, the old vehicle, the Edith, the Edith Keeler Must Die episode where yeah. McCoy go back to like San Francisco. And- it, was, it was lazy but understandable then because again you cut the you know cut the budget down you do a few grounded episodes helps people feel like they can access it if it seems a little dense and too sci-fi like but uh this yeah and and the allegory of you know uh the absolute democracy and the times we live in and how people are judged and uh it was all really heavy-handed like there was not a lot of subtlety this was not uh you know how do i reveal the puzzle that they're trying to tell me uh the enigma that is wrapped in no it it was really quite on on front street, uh, you know, slapping the American people, no disrespect, I may, on the wrists uh, over their <laughs> uh, social media behavior in the last year. And, you know, I, wow, it was, it, it was a really, it was a really, um, it reminded me very much of that. We were talking about the, the, uh, the beautiful, you know, ivory tower of Star Trek. And this felt like the ivoriest of ivory tower Star Trek, where it's, you know, oh, those foolish people how how could they possibly and you know of course they're pointing at us uh yeah it was it was it was really i think a little little over the top for for my taste as far as uh at, at a show that has so far been that, that breath of you know a little bit of levity a little bit of you know they, they, they certainly are going some places and they have something to say but this felt very much like uh like an old school trek episode of, right, you know, right. we have a moral and you we're gonna kind of ram it down your throat a little bit yeah yeah so did you put the point the note here about the Star Trek Four voyage home with how do we disguise Spock? Yeah, there's like there's definitely a lot that this episode takes from various bits of Trek. So we talked about how um, those budget episodes were uh, original series sort of creation. Where it's like, oh look, the uh, these guys are like Soviet Union from the 1960s. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how convenient! Like this parallel evolution. Uh, and of course, we mentioned the TNG episode with Wesley Crusher. Um, I also noticed the Star Trek Four the voyage home thing where um, they cover Spock's ears with a headband. Um, and also they show the sort of like main female uh, from the, the aliens or out of time species, um, the spaceship, right? Uh, that, that happens right. in Star Trek Oh, showgirl. Sure, okay, showgirl. Sure, okay, right. got it. Yep. Um, and yeah, and I do think a lot of this was kind of on the nose. Ooh, I wrote a note here about uh, Alara wearing the um, Blossom. Yeah. Do you remember that show? Oh, yeah. The 90s with the, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that she unintentionally is um, offensive to some guy at the coffee shop because it's uh, cultural appropriation i feel like that one was kind of on the nose too yeah 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 and of course everybody starts pulling out their phones because they think they see a conflict coming yeah go take that hat off right now and what's the okay. comment about saved by the fake news there honey well so that's literally how they they solve the problem right yeah. they inject a whole bunch of fake news of like oh let's generate this video he's like you know he's a a, a soldier coming back and he's reunited with his dog and <laughs> 
Yeah, I, thought they, were, I thought they were going to go in. I thought they were going to get uh, um, Isaac to go in and hack the results. I think I think that would have been a more timely uh, way of doing way of fixing this episode, if you will, right? Yeah, like that's what I totally saw. That's what I thought saw coming as soon as they figured out. Oh, Isaac would kind of go. Well, you know what? I can I just go in and change the numbers. You know, but they kind of did it through the through the voting thing. But like, I think if you were trying to save somebody in this case and you had the technology and, and you were advanced enough to do it, I don't think you would go as simple as just you know trying to get the people, the mass media to vote you might want to just go in and change the results right i mean as long as you're in there but it was i don't know maybe the uh, you know they didn't really describe how the master feed itself works and maybe the feed itself is actually pretty well you know constructed in terms of security but what you can do is the the fake news hack of just pumping as much false information as you can and the uh the young lady even says oh like they're, they're never going to check that just just put post it on there it's nobody's going to double check that before they make their voting decision yeah what if people try and corroborate this information oh don't worry they won't like uh yeah wait i mean what if this possibly comes true what if somebody uses this as a method for i don't know manipulating like a real election or something by running fake news and uh and pirating social media to direct oh never mind that's why we call it science fiction because <laughs> it could never happen it even if it's possible happen. that's true that's true <laughs> Oh, As yeah. the pendulum swings and smacks us in the face. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. So I put here that Master Feed, depending on uh, who you talk to, and I certainly checked online to see what people thought. People thought it was either Facebook or Twitter or Reddit as an analogy. And I think either one of those would be perfectly fine and correct. Well, it couldn't yeah. be Facebook because there's no way you could actually post something and have that many people see it all at once. Yeah, yeah especially with the splitting of social media markets, too. That's true. That's true. Yeah, so I mean, it was an interesting story. But, you know, like you said, I think as soon as I saw they go they were going down to earth i thought that they would have some they would do something complete uh, sorry not earth but an earth-like place um because like you said it was an easy way to build sets and you know there wasn't really anything uh i mean it was totally different than earth because you know the the phones weren't square they were sort of triangular triangular shape right so it was completely different oh yeah not the same thing yeah you know um all right so should we move on to our uh things that we'd like to see that are coming up sure so before we get into that so what have you decided about the blade runner 2049 tammy cornered me on that on on roundabout just been just a few minutes ago but with respect to what in particular with you and your you know fiance and your girlfriend and your dog when are you going to watch Blade Runner <laughs> I'm hoping that it'll be this weekend trying to find a way to, to get um, the final cut or heck at this point any of the cuts just so we can get that out of the way and then but do you, like I said do you really need to prep for it though or do you or do you personally need to prep for it I probably don't I can you know bless her heart I can foresee all sorts of difficult to explain things if she doesn't see it before where they explain things to you first do they? Do they really? Mm-hmm. You tell me. You guys have seen it. Well, no, yeah. And, uh, so, so there, there, there are um, callbacks to uh, the original movie. Let's put it that way. I don't want to give it too much away, but they, um, like, you, you know how, like, the Rolling Stones. Every time the Rolling Stones puts out a new single, there's always a lick by Keith Richards that kind of has a sort of a hooky kind of feel to it, and it's kind of, that's the the sort of tie that binds all the Rolling Stones music together. So you immediately recognize it as a Stones tune, even though it's it's completely different. It's not the same song they've played for the last 50 years, you know. Um, there's a, li- a little bit of that. Like, there's a lot of, you know, these aren't the droids you're looking for kind of things, you know, or, you know, he can go about his business, move along kind of lines that are in the movie that aren't necessarily said in the same context. But there's, I see, I, I just ruined it for you. There you go. <laughs> yeah, they quote Star Wars all the way through the movie. It's very confusing. But no, I mean, there, there's a lot of those sort of, you know, there's some auditory cues. There's some uh, some things that people say and they, they do. But, but there's no sort of, they don't really go into the sort of explanation of you know the as much explanation as they do in the in the original uh, Blade Runner movie where they talk about the replicants and stuff like that um, it's funny because I saw a, a talk on the uh, the making of Blade Runner I think it, I think it was actually that guy I talked about the um, what is it what is it, nerd writer I think it was he does a he does a, a bit on Blade Runner and it's it's point been pointed out that they tell the whole plot of the entire movie in the little uh, text that appears before the screen before the movie plays right like that that actually yeah. they, they spill all that they spill all the beans right up front, and they do again in this movie too. That's not much of, much of a spoiler. But they set they set up they set up the whole story. There's no mystery as to what's going to happen, you know, in the story. But where it goes and where it ends is completely different. I think uh, I think it's a big screen movie, and I think it's meant to be seen on a big screen. Oh, for sure, for sure. I think yeah. I think anybody who enjoys good sci-fi and good filmmaking, uh, you know, the the direction, the cinematography, it's it really is one of the most breathtaking movies you'll see this year. You know, right. and and it's again, it's engaging 
engaging in a lot of different ways. It's not a one-dimensional, you know, a sci-fi, you know, trope-filled film. It's got some places to go and some things to say. And I think anybody would want to go see a movie like that. Uh, it's it's really disappointing because, uh, you know, it premiered internationally. It, it did not do well uh, there either. Uh, you know, the word flop is kind of floating around. Really? <laughs> um, wow, people are so dumb. They gave us, you know, we gave them our money twice. I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be a little bit like Blade Runner itself. I think, uh, you know, I mean, it has the the, the unfortunate uh, experience to have come out during a busy time of year where we're packed full of sci-fi movies. Um, you know, it's it's this is and, and there wasn't like four months where they just build it up to death, right? That's the other the other thing. That well, me and we talked last right? week about trailers, right? We talked about you know I, I love the new trailer for for Star Wars the the Last Jedi because it doesn't spoil and it, it gives you just these little you know meat little little nuggets of of you know that world. You know, honestly. I saw the trailers for Blade Runner 2049 and it did the same thing. It didn't spoil and I didn't feel like I went in knowing everything that was going to happen. And maybe I'm in the minority. I, I was thinking about this as I was looking at some of the numbers thinking, gosh, that's, you know, it's a shame this movie didn't do better, but maybe it didn't do enough to sell to the audience that doesn't know this. And right, I, right. they should have just, you know, shown Ryan Gosling with his shirt off in the trailer more or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> like something that could have done more for it because I Again, I feel like it's a shame that more people aren't making the time and maybe, you know, maybe they needed to, you know, do a two hour cut and a three hour uh, cut for Blu-ray or something. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe something had to happen there. Maybe people just don't have the appetite for a three hour movie anymore. Uh, I'm at a loss to complain it. But, uh, you know, again, it's a shame if people aren't, especially science fiction fans, aren't making the time for this movie because it's it's really something special. Um, And 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 it's not even going to make its money back. And isn't it really? Oh, because I mean, there's like the, you're right. Because they even they even missed over the whole um, romantic plotline that's in the middle of the movie, right? You know, uh, the Boslin character. Uh, they kind of they kind of miss, and that was sort of a throwback to uh, Rachel and Deckard's relationship, but in a different kind of way. And it was and it was kind of it had a melancholy uh, conclusion as well, right? Which is really you know like, uh, but that was that was something that that's not in the trailers at all, right? Like you know the trailer yeah. the trailer seems to be about the main plot point of where's this Deckard guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the trailer is saying the movie's about, and it's totally not right. Yeah. yeah. So it made uh, it cost two hundred and let's see, two hundred and twenty-three point four million dollars to make. That's not a cheap picture, right? right. Uh, and you can see it. To be fair, uh, it has made eighty-one million dollars domestically. That's Canada, wow. United States, and it has made nine million dollars in its opening in China. Wow. So we better go see it a few more times in the theaters to help them pay back, right? So. Yeah, again, and uh, you know, it's funny. Again, I think all the things that I loved about this film are all the things that might be holding it back. You know, it takes its time. It's got a good pacing. It, you know, it has something to say. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just. But uh, see, again, like Arrival and like the original Blade Runner, there's a lot to think about that's not spelt out for you. It's not in the subtitles. You know, that's that's true. It's this is not spoon fed to you. (laughs) Maybe that's you know what I would recommend. I would recommend they go back. What they do is they put. audio track over the top and then they put a happy ending on the end of it and that'll solve all the problems sure the studio should have stepped in and done those things clearly if only if only yeah Yeah. but it's it's but the same sort of thing like i i'm a big advocate for the the, for the movie theater experience you know because i like the big sound and i like the big screen and i like the the fact that you can't look away and your phone you can't get distracted by facebook or whatever in the middle of the movie you know you're not sitting in an airplane where you know you're dealing with the, the awful sound of the airplane and getting bumped by the stewardess as she takes the drink cart by and that's how most people are going to see this movie right they're going to watch yeah. it on a plane or they're going to rent oh. it at home but the same thing like baby driver is another movie where you have to see that in the theater right yeah. and it's sad yeah. that most people won't right yep no and again i think you and i've always been on the same page that there, there is just you know it's amazing i love my television set i have a really nice one i have a nice surround sound system i love watching movies at home where i can take my time and take a break and do all these different things but in this world where we're all two screen addicts you know i've got my phone out while i'm watching the baseball game and you know like everybody's got the you know distraction you know short attention span thing there is something about going and spending uh 15 bucks to go see a movie where you can't turn on your phone and you can't do anything else you're just immersed and the sound is big and the picture is big and you are in it for as long as they are there to show it to you and i don't think a lot of people are as into that experience as they once were clearly um you know 
because the only thing that's really doing well in the movie theaters, these big tentpole pictures, um, you know, again, if you're going to make an Avengers and a, and a Last Jedi and all these other things, of course, they're going to do well. But, you know, the one of the reasons why I didn't mind dropping down my money and, and you know, taking uh, my son to go see Baby Driver is, you know, at least Edgar Wright had something new to say. He was doing something different. I knew it was going to be good. I enjoy him as a filmmaker. And it was uh, a moment where I knew, again, I was going to be sitting there focused on what this artist had created for me for that period of time and immersed in that moment. And I don't think you can get that from watching it on Netflix when it comes there or, you know, sitting there on your tablet because this is the only time you can make during the day to, to sit and watch something. It's just, it does change the experience so dramatically. And, and I think the problem is we live in this era now of, of, I mean, frankly, this is the best era of television that has ever existed. We have peak TV at this point. We have, you know, Game of Thrones and Westworld and all these, you know, Walking Dead and amazing television programs that are so high production value and such quality writing and the best actors who wouldn't have touched television with a 20-foot cattle prod 20 years ago are now leaping to do their own TV shows. So maybe we're just getting worn out on movie theater experiences and this well, I mean, is the this casualty. Thing, like when it costs $200 million to make a movie like Blade Runner when they could spend a third of that or whatever and, and put it on Netflix and, and make that money back, right? Uh, yeah. Notwithstanding what AMC's been doing, but you know, the that's the sad part about it is, is, we're gonna, is people aren't going to be making these big movies anymore. And, and to be honest, like, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but t- uh, Time Bandits was playing at a big theater and I, I, I've i never seen Time Bandits in the theater, but I went and watched it and I'm telling you, it was like watching a brand new movie for me. There were things I saw in the movie on the big screen that I never would have seen on the small screen. Right? Yeah. And then the next night they played Brazil by Terry Gilliam as well and I went back and watched that. I went and saw Shaun of the Dead presented by Edgar Wright a few years ago at a theater, right? Uh, if Blade Runner came out in the theater tomorrow, like the original Blade Runner came out in the theater tomorrow, I would be there watching it because I do believe that there's something about being in a in a large theater with the tribe. That's the other part of the whole thing, yeah. the whole experience is you're there with a bunch of other people, like-minded people. That's why Jonathan and I go to Star, and Jaime as well, go to see Star Wars on the first day because you're there with the real people who really care about this particular franchise, right? Yeah. Um, not the people who are going to casually go in and, you know, get the VIP ticket and have the girl bring the, the popcorn to you kind of thing you know it's a tough thing too. the you know we talk about how hard some of these things are you know television now are doing these shorter seasons but they're still unpacking again stranger things can can sort of while out eight hours of television to get you all these different places it wants to go game of thrones you know up until the season was doing 10 episodes a year so 10 hours plus to really unpack all these different places they wanted to take these characters and develop things you know you end up with these, these really complex storytelling types versus even a three-hour Blade Runner movie, it's awfully hard to get to all these places you want to go. Like, on a, Blade Runner might have just been a really great Netflix series, you know? Like, maybe that's just... we. The lesson learned here is don't spend, you know, $250 million on a one movie. Spend $100 million and make it into a series because that's where the appetite is. And again, it's a shame because I think, you know, we both love this movie and we both want to see it in the, in the theater and enjoy that experience. But, you know, maybe that's where the, where the future is going. I was thinking about the fact that, you know, two weeks from now, we're going to get Justice League is going to hit the movie theaters. Now, I've been a Justice League comic book fan since I was a kid. I used to watch the cartoon, yeah. And I've loved, uh, you know, the cartoon series and the comic books and the experience, uh, you know. I want that guy that does the voiceover from the cartoon to be the voiceover in this movie, though. That's the only problem. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice, uh, (laughs) I I, I am so excited for the fact that this movie exists. I'm not entirely sold it's going to be a great movie because... Well, you know, Warner Brothers track record, but it's got Aquaman I, too, right? It does. It, I love Jason Momoa and I think he's going to be the best part of this movie. But I find myself thinking, you know, what's going to happen that same day is Marvel and Netflix are dropping The Punisher. 13 oh, episodes yeah. are going to yeah. drop on Netflix the same day. So if I'm finding myself with, all right, so I can go watch a two hour uh, Justice League movie where they're going to try and throw a bunch of new characters at me and it's going to be, you know, part Zack Snyder, part John. Whedon and you know they're going to try and get me to invest in all these characters and you know take in all this information and I've got two hours to do it on a big screen so there's a lot to take in and then at the same time I'm going to get 13 hours of somebody trying to unfold the complexity of a character like Frank Castle and the Punisher like who's going to win the you know like you're going to come away with so much more because you can just do so much more in 13 hours and people will make the time for it again you know some people will binge it over the course 
course of a weekend and it'll feel like they went to a movie theater experience. They'll have immersed themselves in that experience. It's, you know, it's a tough, tough era for people's consumption habits to, to make movies nowadays. Even ones that should be huge temples like Justice League may not be what we think they could be or could have been 10 years ago. Sure, sure. I have one question though. Hmm. What does Jaime think? There you go. You know, having not seen the movie, it's, it's a little bit hard to say, you know, where they could have gone with the marketing. Um, like I definitely appreciate the fact that they have more secretive marketing that doesn't give everything away. I'm not entirely certain that the secretiveness of, of the plot itself is like a huge sort of swing for that. I don't think people need to have it spoon fed for them in order to decide whether they're going to want to go like uh, back in what, 98, 99, whichever year it came out, the Matrix gave you like nothing for the very first stuff. And everybody's really yeah. pumped and like, what is the Matrix? Holy smokes, what is this? This movie seems interesting. Got that mystery to it. I think in, in the modern era, to, to Jonathan's point about, you know, having all these different sort of avenues that you can explore to, you know, get your media consumption. It's not just the movies, uh, movie theaters. I kind of wonder if they missed out by not having tie-ins to other things like Justice League already has, you know, toys available. It has merchandise available. Um, I'm sure even Thor Ragnarok, probably like if I go to Taco Bell or something, they're probably going to have like a Thor cup, you know, special collector editions, plastic cup I can get with Thor's face on it or something. Uh, I don't know that that's actually true, but that's kind of what I expect out of these big sort of like tentpole films. So if they're they're looking to have a 200 some million dollar movie they're producing, I feel like they didn't do that part of it. And, and it was rated R in America. It was here. It was uh, adult accompaniment. It was 14 plus. Uh, but to make it an R movie of science fiction too, I think was a bold choice because mm-hmm. that immediately segments your audience. And you can say that, you know, we've obviously seen some successes over the last couple of years. Deadpool, Logan, things like that come to mind. Uh, but of course, they have a built-in audience too. Um, and, and you know, to, to go out with an R-rated three-hour, like maybe it was just a stacked deck against this film. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's pretty tough. That's why a lot of media has come out at PG-13, even when their source material was rated R. Like uh, Robocop comes to mind as for that remake where the original was rated R, yeah. or at least was a very hard 13. And now is kind of more of a soft 13, I think, for the 2014 edition of Robocop. I haven't seen the remake yet, uh, but I'm guessing there's nothing quite as gross as Peter Weller getting his hand shot off and, uh, you know, that that execution scene from the first movie. Uh, something tells me it didn't translate to the new one. No, no, nothing, nothing quite like that. Um, and actually, that one didn't bother me as much as a kid. You know what bothered me the most? Spoilers for the original Robocop from the 1980s. Um, <laughs> is when that one guy gets the, like, acid or toxic waste dumped on him. by the car? Yeah, I mean, he's oh. like... You know, oh. he's like all melted and in pain and then yeah. he gets you know, splattered uh, by the car. Like, that was horrifying. I'm, I'm still haunted by it, buddy. I'm with you. <laughs> Kids. <laughs> See, but I, I feel like uh, they, they didn't mind making toys of that sort of stuff before. I don't I don't think that guy came with like exploding slime edition or anything. But I was going to say, did you, did you get that guy? And like, you know. <laughs> I seem to recall a, a RoboCop toy from back when I was a child that had like built-in caps. Remember caps? The mm-hmm. little explosives. Mm-hmm. I, I, there was like a RoboCop toy that had built-in caps where you could, you know, fire it off and it sounded like RoboCop was, you know, shooting at innocent uh, or bad guys or whatever. I, I remember thinking what an odd choice that was for toy, but... Uh, I, I think I told I think I told Jaime this story before, but I don't know if I ever told you, Jonathan, but uh, I used to have a couple of G.I. Joe figures, right? And they were astronauts, right? And so at one point I was, you know, I was inspired by the $6 million man. And so I made a fireproof suit for my G.I. Joe out of 10 foil and I put him in a, in a pool of gasoline and lit it on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of like the same sort of thing as you were just describing because when I when I realized oh no wait it's plastic it's going to melt and I started pulling back it was like like I had just basically melted my G.I. Joe figure right? <laughs> <laughs> Is that the one that came with life like hair and bread? Life like hair and bread. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Where's the bread? Where's bread? Yeah. So I, I remember uh, my mother used to put one year she put our, our presents that we asked for at the foot of our bed. So when we woke up, it, instead of having a tree or whatever, right? And it was wrapped in brown paper. I guess it must have just come from the Eatons as, as you know, as gift wrapped or whatever. And I could sort of see through the, the, the brown paper that it said you know, G.I. Joe with life like hair. And I opened it up and, and you know, first thing in the morning and it said i read it as gi joe with life like hair and bread and i spent all that day and week looking in the box going where's the bread because <laughs> <laughs> of course it was life like hair and beard <laughs> now you get it <laughs> 
guess what the title of this episode is going to be. Yeah, I was going to say that's a great that's a great one for the stinger too. Life like hair and bread. <laughs> and now I have life like hair and bread. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That. Someday I'm going to grow up and have life like hair and bread. Okay, but getting back to our picks. <laughs> yeah. So, so Jaime, you've got a pick here or two. You've got one pick. I've got one. Um, it's not a want to see anymore because I actually binged through and, and saw all of it. But that would be Stranger Things season two. It's nine episodes, so eight nine. and a half to nine hours of uh, of content there. And of course, they also have. I'm, I'm actually watching episode five right now. I've got another twenty minutes to go tonight. Mm-hmm. I guess what I haven't seen is the whatever the after show is. I forget what the name, the exact title of it is, but it's. Um, I think there's one per episode where they sort of talk to the actors and actresses. About oh, really? Oh, I didn't see that. That particular episode. So it's. I think it's intended to be watched after you see the series and then kind of go through and see how they they interpret things themselves. Cool. All right. So, Jonathan, what do you got on here? Uh, I have uh, Star Wars: Forces of Destiny. Uh, now, I'll ask you. I either of you if you've watched this no no forces of destiny. so eh, this is a series of um shorts that they've been airing on the disney channel um, okay okay they've been putting them out through social media as well you can watch them online so they did the first uh group of eight of them they put them together as a tv special and put them on on the disney channel this summer and uh they're all focused on um the different female characters from the star wars universe so we're uh we have ahsoka we have Jyn Erso, we have Hera from Rebels, Maz Kanata, Rey, uh, Sabine, Padme, Leia. Um, so we, you know, we do get a lot of these, um, and, and it actually has like the, uh, with the exception of obviously Leia, um, it has the actresses who play these parts. So Felicity Jones is playing Jyn Erso. We've got Laputa Nyong'o playing Maz Kanata. Um, Daisy Ridley's playing Rey. And there's are these, these, are these live action or are they? They're, they're cartoons. They're about just two and a half, three minutes long. They're okay. just these little sort of, uh, you know, short vignettes, little scenes, little sort of episodes throughout. Yeah, little little bits, little uh, little little stories that are set in this universe focusing on these female characters. And and I've enjoyed what they did so far, but I will say they just dropped uh, two days ago, they dropped another bunch of them. They dropped another four. And I watched one of them that is going to spark me to go watch the rest of them. So I'll give you the loose plot of this one because it's just this. if this doesn't entice you to go watch this series, I don't know what will. Uh, so the episode is called an imperial feast and it is set uh in the wake of return of the jedi and uh han and chewbacca are watching as the ewoks start gathering up captured stormtroopers for a barbecue because because they're hungry yeah yeah and so the two of them are laughing and thinking this is hilarious and of course leia shows up and says you know we can't let them cook and eat the stormtroopers you gotta go find something else so han and chewie have to go find uh hera syndulla from rebels uh, who's a general uh, in in the uh, rebellion to uh, get an order of rations to try and feed the Ewoks so right, that they will right. not not cook and eat the stormtroopers and it is it's only about uh, it's a little less than three minutes but it's very funny and very very well done and it's just a nice uh, again just these nice little funny quick looks at this thing and again I, you know the purpose of this whole series is to um, sell toys they've done a whole line of right. Of, uh, toys to go with this series. Um, there's a whole set of dolls that have come out of these different female characters that are sort of targeting this um, market for uh, younger consumers of Star Wars products. So it's you know you, you got to take it for what it's worth. But was that was that the pictures of, of the female characters that I took at the uh, Hasbro booth at yes. Expo? Oh okay. yes, right. yeah. Um, so it's it's out there and again. Obviously, uh, you know, it doesn't touch on our lives a heck of a lot at this point. But but it is good and it's fun and I will. Uh, I will wholeheartedly recommend checking that one out. Again, it's if you follow uh, Star Wars on social media, they tweet these things out so you can just you know digest them on your phone. They don't take a lot of investment of your time, but uh, I highly recommend checking out the episode Imperial Feast. And uh, I'm going to dive in and, and watch the rest of the ones that just premiered and catch up on a couple of the older ones I haven't seen. There's only they've done 16 so far. 16 times three. It's not going to take you a long time to watch every last one of them if you want to catch up, but uh, definitely worth the time. So how do people find that if they're not watching it on TV? Uh, you can see it on social media if you follow any of the Star Wars feeds on uh, Facebook okay. or right. Twitter, or uh, they they post them all there. So it's it's pretty easy to come by. So how do we know that the Ewoks didn't evolve into the Klingons by eating their their prisoners? <laughs> 
That's one theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's not like they're eating the faces off them or anything like that, you know? Flesh off their skull. The flesh off their skulls. Oh. No. <laughs> Still the most haunting moment in Star Trek history for me. Right. All right. So my uh, my pick is, uh, literally just found out about it thanks to the Facebook, um, not even a half an hour before we started recording, but apparently the Jabberwocky by Terry Gilliam is being uh, done as a 4K Criterion collection on Blu-ray and DVD, and it's coming out in uh, a couple of weeks. So Jabberwock is, is um, I think it, it was Terry Gilliam's first movie that he made after The Holy Grail, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which was directed by two people, Terry Jones and uh, Terry Gilliam. And both of those two directors said they would never, ever do that kind of thing again, uh, where they're, you know, one director is all you need, really. Um, but what I like about this story, it, it stars Michael Palin, if you've never seen it before, as, as this hapless boob that is in love with this woman that couldn't give him the time of day. Um, back in the middle, dark middle ages of, of Britain. And the way that Terry Gilliam paints life at that time, and I, and I use the term paint in the same sense as he would in a sort of a middle age painting. Um, he, he, the whole way he portrays society at that time, the politics, the class system, you know, the, the living in filth kind of thing, um, is, is classic. I mean, the, the, you know, ancient king and his, and his dresser have this sort of, sort of, what do you call it? Um, what's it, what is, What's this uh, uh, Leonard's mother call um, Howard and um, uh, Raj's relationship in the Big Bang Theory? Anyway, it doesn't matter. But they have this great relationship, the two these two men, if you can imagine. Um, and it's just it's a it's a fabulous movie, and it's got lots of lots of uh, subtext to it. Actually, as a matter of fact, just just as a point of fact about this, I guess is that when George Lucas went to where did he go in in England to make the New Hope, Jonathan? Uh, I want to say Leavesden, but I think Leavesden is the new no, one. No, it's the begins with an S or E or... Anyway, George Lucas apparently, apparently was this pompous American director who came over and all of the British um, staff who were making the film didn't like him very much. So they kept skipping off to go work on the Terry Gilliam movie because they had more fun there. <laughs> right? And they, So they were both filmed. It was So Jabberwocky was filmed at the same time as A New Hope was done. All, all the sort of, you know, set scenes were done for A New Hope. Um, and in fact, the Black Knight is played by David Prowse, who of course is Darth Vader. Hmm. Right. So yeah. So and so he was. He's actually in both movies. And, and at the time, he was a bodybuilder. He's like the biggest actor, physically biggest actor in England. And that's why he got a lot of those, you know, heavy heavy roles. He was also in um, A Clockwork Orange as as the uh, the, the trainer that uh, is at near the end of the movie. Right. So you know the the jock character. Right. Um, but yeah. So it's it's a great movie. I mean, uh, you know, they borrowed sets for they borrowed set pieces like Army from old classic uh, British films. And um, but it's just the way that Terry Gilliam portrays what life must have been like back in the Middle Ages is just classic. It's like there's not, in the same way that Ridley Scott does, you know, um, dark and dusty and smoke-filled, polluted sci-fi, you know, with the rain constantly coming down, that kind of thing. Terry Gilliam does the same sort of thing with the Jabberwocky. So, and that would have been 1976, I guess, right? So, uh, does he predate Blade Runner? I guess he does. Yeah. So, interesting thing. Terry, and of course, if you watch the old, I mean, the reason why I want to see Jabberwocky is because I, you know, when I saw the Monty Python and the Holy Grail, I went with my mother of all people and my sister. Um, I loved that 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 story. I loved Monty Python at the time. I loved the way that they they had an irreverent way of telling stories, you know. Uh, and so Jabberwocky was just more of a Monty Python and the Holy Grail fix. And it's more of a it's it's almost like a, it's not a sequel to it, but it's very much feels the same way because Terry Gilliam had a big hand in in doing the uh, the Holy Grail stuff as well, right? Yeah. So I highly recommend that movie. I, I'm still haunted by the uh, the bathroom scene in that one. That, yes. Uh, yeah, still one of the most vivid the part where, the, part where the, the father's talking to him at the one in the window. Yes, and he's got the, his taking care of business at the same time. Yes, into the river that Dennis is paddling through. <laughs> it's still it's still one of the most like played so straight, so straight. But the look on Palin's face as this guy is going to the bathroom while having a conversation with him is yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's priceless. It's priceless. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a very underrated movie. I I, I think uh, I obviously I watched it because uh, you know. Uh, somebody i know well, as jonathan says you know, sorry that's like somebody i know really liked that movie so they passed it on to me yeah so the uh i mean if you look at the old paintings of, of the time like in london or, or anywhere italy and that places like that if you look at the bridges they had all these little rooms all the way across the bridges and what they actually were were public bathrooms yeah <laughs> 
And this is portrayed in vivid picture, moving yeah. picture style by uh, by the movie. By Jabber Terry Gilliam, for sure. Yeah. 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 Complete with sound effects. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. So that's boy, it's going to be great to look at on Blu-ray. I'm so glad they're restoring this movie to its quality. It's, uh, yes, it's all, all its living glory. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Hey, so hey, Jaime, if people want to look for you on the webs, where would they look? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. All right. And Jonathan, if people want to find you out there. I am JPK at JPK News. All right. And I am Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine. And I guess we'll talk to you guys next week. So until then, bye. 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 If you want to find out more about the podcast or see episode show notes, visit the Spockcast website at spockcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spockcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpockCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount on patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find out details on how to help us out on our website at spotcast slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. going to ask we we uh we skirted the whole issue of anthony rapp's uh uh reveal this weekend Ooh, of the yeah. fact that uh he was oh right yeah i don't know if that was something we want to get into or uh no, how we, 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 yeah we can kind of leave those kind of things for the tabloids yeah, yeah that one's a really rough one and it adds a uh a real impact on uh, house of cards which oh right was already going to have season six as the final season but really yeah suspended production on it uh indefinitely really? yeah. yeah until they can figure out what's going to happen and oh wow well you yeah, know it's yeah. funny this whole weinstein thing which is kind of what we're skirting around and, and another facet of it we're still recording by the way yep um you know it, what 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 surprises me is that people think that it's just one person at one time is the is the evildoer when we've known about the casting couch for years and years and years and years right so um that the fact that they think it's one incident or one person one perpetrator you know we had cosby a few years ago we've now got weinstein and now possibly the you know other american president <laughs> yeah um mm-hmm. you know so it's, and we've had it come out it came out today that um brett ratner has been accused now uh by olivia munn and right right uh, Tasha Henstridge and a bunch of other women of uh, sexual harassment and misconduct. Uh, of course, Ratner did um, X-Men The Last Stand and uh, he's just done a lot of movies actually. Oh, when that's he- him. Okay. I was wondering who he was. Yeah. So yeah, we've seen uh, we've seen this sort of uh, Weinstein effect just rolling across uh, Hollywood where, you know, yeah, obviously yeah. women feel like there's an opportunity for them to, you know, uh, you know, put some of these things out on Front Street that may have been uh, in the shadows for a long time. And, uh, you know, obviously we don't know one way or the other uh, where these things fall. But, wow, it's it's really, you know, we've gone from, you know, Jeremy Piven was accused the other day. Uh, of course, you know, for Star of Entourage was accused and he's denied uh, any allegations. But uh, he's been accused of sexual misconduct and now Kevin Spacey. And so, uh, you know, it, it seems like this is, uh, you know, we're definitely seeing something happen here, which, you know, uh, hopefully, you know, in the case of some of these, you know, it's an opportunity that is for the better. And uh, it's also, uh, you know it's it's shocking in some ways to see it but you're right i mean i don't think it was a secret that uh, you know obviously the men were taking advantage of these positions of power well, to- i mean and the weinstein thing could have happened 20 years ago right like but but olivia munn's character career has only taken off in the last little while she was actually on a show with on g4 with um oh yeah she was great with uh what's his name from hack of the uh, show that was a great show uh, hack of the show and she was on with um our buddy from uh talking dead what's his name uh, chris hardwick right yeah yep he, i think he was like he was a secondary host was another guy who 
who's the main host, but uh, he was on that show for a while too. Yep. Anyway, and she came out of that show and then and then started her Hollywood career. So it's not been that long that she's sort of that she's now a name you can drop and people would know who she is, right? Yeah, and she was uh, wonderful on uh, HBO's The Newsroom. That's one of my uh, favorite shows. Oh, was she on Newsroom? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. she did three seasons of The Newsroom, and she was really, really, really good on that show. Actually, it was it was funny because I watched that Attack of the Show and uh, hadn't really followed her into being uh, an actress as much as she was a personality. Right, right. And then uh, caught up with that show because I, a, I have an affection for stories about newsrooms and B, because uh, I like uh, Jeff Daniels. And, and I found her to be you know, sort of one of the revelations of that show. I thought she was really, really quite good as a character she played. Yeah, on. Huh, I'll have to go yeah. and watch that. Yeah, so it's, is, it's, is that show coming great. back, by the way? Uh, newsroom? Yeah. No, they did. Uh, it did two, two full seasons and then they decided uh, they weren't going to do any more. So they gave them, I think, six episodes to wrap the whole thing up. So it's actually a, a pretty tidy little uh, beginning, oh, middle yeah. and end of the story. Mm. So it actually, uh, it was nice. It didn't just get outright canceled. They actually got a chance to sort of you know, go up, go down and, and end on a, a note they wanted to end on. So it actually is, is kind of nice in a way to not be this long running seven year, you know, Odyssey, you can actually just sort of enjoy it as this little chunk. It's and it's really, really good. Really wonderful ensemble. Um, of course, you know, written by uh, um, what's his name, the guy who did the West Wing. So, so good. Um, was it a Sorkin production? Sorkin, yes, of course, Aaron Sorkin. Um, he was the you know creator of that show, and it's got these great, great moments. And and you know, it's funny and it's dramatic, and it, it can reduce you. It's like it's like uh, Rescue Me. It can reduce you to tears and reduce you to tears of laughter uh, in the same episode. You know, and I, I admire shows that have that range. Cool. Yeah. Wasn't there a Canadian show similar of a similar vein? There was a newsroom uh, show. There's actually a CBC show called The Newsroom. Oh, which, was it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And uh, that was that actually was really comedy, though, wasn't it? It was, and that was a really good show as well. But uh, and and Sorkin sort of dipped his toe into this um, years before he did a show called Sports Night. It was on right. ABC mm-hmm. uh, that lasted a couple of seasons with the the late uh, Robert Guillaume, who was on that, and uh, that was actually really really well done. A bit of an underrated uh, show, but anybody who likes uh, Sorkin's writing uh, would definitely do well to look that one up because it's, it's really well done too. Cool. Yeah. All righty. Yep. Okay. All right, okay. Let's uh, call this a night. Hang on. Where's the uh, All right. Button. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.